0: Very good. Everyone else, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 in your Bibles. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6, 1 through 6. And uh, to start, we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 8, through 8 and 9, um, the, the, the passage as a whole, this morning. And this sermon was supposed to get preached last Sunday morning with the storm. It moved it to this week. And then we also have the Lord's Supper. And so uh, I'm going to try to. Expediate the message the best I can. But this is the last sermon in our series. Uh, uh, We're in the middle of a series entitled, we're at the very end of a series entitled Money Matters. Money Matters. I don't preach about money very often, uh, but I have taken a month of our church calendar and this is our fourth sermon on the topic. And this will be the most practical of all four sermons as it pertains to to money, so let me just say before we read and before I preach if you 're visiting today, if you come back next week i 'm not going to be preaching about money next week, amen, and so just put you at ease, all right This is not a topic I necessarily enjoy preaching on, but it is found quite a bit in scripture, and it does need to be addressed. So let's look at verse one down through verse number six. We'll read responsively. I'll read the odd numbered verses alone and together as a church, we'll read the even numbered verses together. Verse one says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Together, verse two, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. "...for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also." And so we're looking at this series, Money Matters. The title of the message today to close out the series is this, Learning to Give by Grace. Learning to Give by Grace. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning to understand the sermon. Lord, work in our hearts. And Lord, help us to be people who are generous and not people who are apathetic. Lord, work in our hearts, work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed just a few moments ago our ushers walked through with collection plates and they collected an offering as they do each week. Uh, And they collected the offering from those who were prepared to give. Well, I want to ask this question. I think it's good every now and then we just stop and, and analyze everything we do. Everything we do needs to have a purpose and a reason and an end goal in mind. We shouldn't just do things because it's always been done that way. We need to understand why we do what we do. So that brings us to this question. Why do we collect an offering at church? Why do we collect an offering at church? Why do we do that? You you see the plate come by and, uh, you know, pastors have a reputation of being money grubbers, money grabbers. And so someone goes to church, maybe they're drugged to church by a, a friend or family member. They don't even really want to be there and they have this, these, all of these conceptions, preconceived ideas about church, and one of them is that all that pastor wants is my money. And then lo and behold, the offering comes, and the plate comes by, and you say, see, he's after my money. Why do we collect an offering at church? Well, there's two reasons. Uh, principally, there's two reasons why we do it. Number one, we do it to help the poor. We do it to help the poor. Uh, all throughout the Old and New Testament, God instructs his people to look after the needs of the neglected and the impoverished. In the Old Testament, God, listen to this, God has destroyed entire nations because their judicial systems were structured in such a way where they took advantage of the poor. God wiped out entire nations because the poor were trampled on and neglected. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that when you feed the hungry... You clothe the naked. You visit the imprisoned. That it's just like you did it unto him. In our passage here in Second Corinthians eight and nine, where we'll be this morning, Paul is trying to raise a special offering to help the poor and needy Christians in the city of Jerusalem. You understand that uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts. The church of Jerusalem had wealthy people in it that would give to help the needs of the poor. But then the day came where persecution rained down on the church and many, many people left. And when they left, the impoverished of that town were left to try to figure things out on their own. And so Paul is going around to the various cities and he's saying, listen, the poor Christians in Jerusalem, they can barely feed themselves. They can barely pay for their housing. In some cases, they can't even do that. Can you please give so I can take... Take this offering back to Jerusalem and help those who are hurting. Why do we give? We give in the church offering plate. We give to the church in order to help the poor. When we pass... The collection plate, the money we collect, helps us to be able to look after the poor. Look after those who have a need. Look after those who have an unexpected bill land in their lap that they can't pay. Look after those who maybe are broken by life and don't know how to earn a living and don't know how to pay their own way. The pastor and uh, the staff can come along their side and help teach them uh, not give them fish, but teach them how to fish so they can feed themselves and there's some finances to help them along the way. Why do we collect an offering in church? Well, number one, to feed the poor. Number two, to spread the gospel, to spread the gospel. These are the two principal reasons why we collect an offering. Now, the commission of the church is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to both our own community and and to the other side of the globe, and everywhere in between, at the exact same time. Again, the commission of the church is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to our own community, and the other side of the globe, and everywhere in between, and to do that at the very same time. When you give in the offering plate, you are funding the purchase of gospel tracts, you are funding the organizational efforts of evangelistic outreach, both here in our own community and abroad. The dollars that come into the offering plate allows the church uh, lighthouse to continue to function and spread its light abroad so that hundreds and thousands of people can continue to find their way to heaven Here in this community, when you give in the offering plate toward our missions program, you are funding the payment of missionary families spread all over the globe and you're funding their salary so they can go live somewhere else in another country and they can preach the gospel to people who we will never see never meet and never know how uh, why do we collect an offering at the church is it so the preacher can get rich no i've talked about this here the preacher this preacher uh, makes a middle class income and is content To make a middle class income, I did not sign up for church ministry so I could become a wealthy tele evangelist. I used to preach against tele evangelists, but now we have a YouTube channel, so I am a tele evangelist. And so I no longer preach against tele evangelists. Amen. But the concept of uh, getting on TV and saying, give us all your money and God will pour down blessings on your life. Listen, you need to steer clear of people like that. People like that are out to sucker you. People like that are in it so they can live in big fancy mansions and fly in private jets and wear $3,000 suits. And that is wrong. And those people are going to have to face God one day. Why do we collect an offering at the church? Well, we do it so that the poor of our community can be helped. No, not to be given another welfare check, but they can be helped maybe through a hard time, or they can be helped uh, to get on their feet and be established with some character that will help carry them forward. Why do we collect an offering at the church? We do it so that the gospel can continue to go forth. Now, let me ask this question this morning. How many of you here were saved as either a direct result or an indirect result of the ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. Would you raise your hand for me? Hold them up high for me. Hold them up. You were saved as a direct result or indirect result of the ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. In the back half of the auditorium, we have several hands. Uh, We have another hand here, another hand in the back. Listen, uh, this church has seen many of you come to Christ. How many of you were saved as a direct result or an indirect result of a gospel preaching church somewhere at some point? Hold your hands up. Aren't you glad that somebody put money in the offering plate so that church could keep their doors open? Aren't you glad that somebody made a contribution so that the materials could be printed so you could be shown how to be saved? How many of you here had somebody buy you your first Bible? Would you raise your hand? You had somebody buy you your first Bible? Aren't you glad that somebody was generous enough to dig into their own pocket and pay so that you could be given a Bible? Listen, uh, when we give to the Lord, we are... Funding an eternal work, an eternal work. Now, I have um, I have identified three types of givers that exist in every church. Three types of givers that exist in every church. Now, those of you that come here regularly, you're sick of hearing me say this, but there are people here today that are brand new, and they need to hear Pastor Luzerne say this. So those of you that have been here a long time, you can tune out for about 30 seconds, all right? Everybody else, tune in. Everyone wants to know what I'm going to say. All right. Pastor Lejeune, me, I do not know who gives what at this church. Um, We have a church treasurer, and our finances are very organized. And the giving, uh, when it's uh, done, is recorded in a way that's organized, as is dictated to us by the code of the IRS. But I do not know who gives what unless you come and directly tell me what you give, the only offering I know of that goes in the plate is the one I put in the plate. So I'm not getting up here this morning and preaching at any one person, or I'm not preaching at any group of people. I am more speaking from a generic I do that for several reasons. One of those is that I don't want to give someone preferential treatment because they give more than someone else. You say, oh, Pastor Lejeune, would you do that? Listen, I am a human and I can be tempted to do wrong just like anybody else. So it's just better. I don't even have that temptation in front of me. I don't want to mistreat someone or, or point my sermons at someone based on they don't give, let me preach at them. I don't even want that temptation. So that is totally removed. And so I do not know Who gives what? If you dropped the check in the offering plate this morning for $10,000 and you didn't uh, want me to know, you didn't come and tell me, I would never find out. If you attended here for 30 years and you never put one penny in the plate, I would never find out. I'm not in this to know what you do or don't give. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this this morning is not so that you can be a blessing to me, but so that God can be a blessing to you. You understand that? As you give, God gives back to you. Now, let's look at three types of givers. That exists in every church, all right? The first type of giver are those who are, we'll call them tippers, tippers, all right? <laughs> when you go to a sit-down restaurant, what you're generally doing is you're spending discretionary money, okay? Most people, what they do is they gauge the level of service they've received, and then they tip accordingly. Now, I don't do that. I pretty much tip 18% no matter how the service was. But some people will say, did I have to ask to get my drink refilled or did they just come and do it? Well, did it take them a long time to get my food or did they get it to me quickly? And then they'll, they'll gauge the tip sort of based on their level of service. Now, uh, then they add that to the total bill. Now, many people give at the church the same way. All right? They take a hard look at their discretionary money Uh, once every other bill has been paid, and then they decide to give some portion of their discretionary money in the offering plate. So one week, it's 20, but another week, money is tight, so they get five. It it all depends on what they happen to have in their pocket at the moment. Um, Eating out, buying a latte, something in the offering, they're all kind of in that same category. Those who tip put uh, giving to the church on the same level as their discretionary spending. They tip the Lord. They tip the Lord. Then you have that next tier of givers, and I'll call them tithers. Tithers. Okay, these are people who give 10%, no more, no less, of their income. Um, uh, Now, tither, then there are those who carefully measure out exactly 10% of their income and give that and only that to the Lord, not a penny more and not a penny less. It may interest you to know that three of the four times that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus is casting tithing in his own way in a negative light. In the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to tithe and bring freewill offerings, Many Christians hold to this model even though God has something far greater than tithing in the New Testament or for the New Covenant believer. And I'm going to lay that case out for you today. Okay, so there's tippers, there's tithers, and then the third camp is grace givers. Grace givers. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul takes the words of Jesus in Luke 6.38, we'll look at Luke 6.38 a little later in the message. He looks at the words of Jesus and he expounds greatly on this concept. He teaches that we are to give by grace. Now watch this. As God's grace has reached down and changed our lives, we are by grace to reach out and touch other people's lives. Grace, get, grace living and grace giving removes the restraints that tithing holds uh, one two and opens a brand new way of thinking and living. Uh, to those of you who are tithers, I want you to understand that this is the model that I have held to most of my Christian life. I have gotten my paycheck, I have looked at the gross income, I have moved the decimal one place to the left, I have written out a check or gone to the bank and gotten the cash for exactly 10%, and I have put that in the plate, okay? I have been a tither most of my life, but I believe that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 teach a whole different model of giving that will not only change how you give, but more importantly will change why you give. You all with me this morning? Everybody Okay. Haven't made anybody upset yet? All right. Everybody smile real big, okay? All right. To those of you who are tippers, I want to add that at one point early on in my Christian adult life, I too gave this way. Um, My friend, if God's grace has saved you from an eternity in hell, then you have experienced His great grace. That grace He offered you came at a great price. You'll understand this morning, grace is not free. Grace is not free. If you're going to take advantage of God's grace to save you, then maybe if you're going to extend grace to others, maybe it ought to just cost you a little something. When we give by grace, we give sacrificially and to the betterment of those who are in greater need than we are. So this morning, I believe that Christians need to live to give by grace. Grace. Because grace giving is the richest and purest way to give back to God and to give to the needs of others. Tithing discourages the weak in the faith and it limits the seasoned Christians. How does it, how does tithing discourage the weak in the faith? Because if you just got saved and you're brand new to church and the pastor gets up and says, you better give 10% of your income to the Lord or you're robbing God, then that person's sitting there going, but, I, but I, where am I going to find 10%? That's discouraging. Uh, that's a tough place to start. And so when I get up and ram tithing down everybody's throat, uh, people will sit there and go, uh, you know what, I love God and I love White Oak Baptist Church and I love Jesus and I'm glad to be there, but 10%? 10%? Where am I going to find 10%? Now listen, uh, if you learn to give by grace, you may not start out at 10%, but my friend, if you learn to give by grace, as you grow in the Lord, you will give well beyond 10%. You see, grace giving takes the limit, or rather takes the discouragement off the new believer and it takes the cap off of the one who's seasoned in the Lord and grows in the Lord. My friend, you don't have to stop at 10%. You give and you give and you give as the Lord moves. Now, I want to say this morning that for those of you that have been going to a Baptist church a long time, I have already said some things that have made you uncomfortable and have already said some things that you may not agree with. And I would just ask this from you. I would ask you to set down your defense mechanism and just give me a few minutes and let's try your very best to listen to me objectively. When we give by grace, we give so that uh, we see the poor and needy and spiritually broken. And and that allows us, when we're looking through that, through those eyes where we see the poor, needy, and spiritually broken, this allows us not to give of necessity, but to give abundantly and Cheerfully. So let's look at four thoughts this morning. If you received a bulletin, on the back of the bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. If you can find a pen, you have a pen, I encourage you to take notes as we go. Let's jump in here. Notice number one, the example of grace giving. The example of grace giving. Let me give you a letter A and a letter B here. Letter A, notice, the saint's of God, the saints of God. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles, and let's look at verse 1, and let's read down through verse 5. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us uh, with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. We would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. As And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, there were 3 churches that we know of in the region or the state of Macedonia. And they would have been the churches in the cities of Philippi Thessalonica, and Berea. These churches we know of are directly mentioned in Scripture. No doubt there were others that were established and started. But these three, Macedo- in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. We have the book of Philippians written in the church of Philippi. We have the books of Thessalonians written to the church at Thessalonica. And these three churches were filled with people who were under immense persecution and were people of great poverty. They did not have much money. Yet when word came to them that Paul was collecting an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, they made up their mind to give toward the collection. Now through the ages, many Christian believers have let the grace of God so touch their heart that they look to extend that grace onto others who are in great need, either physically or spiritually. So, when we think about giving by grace, grace giving, what happened here? These people in Macedonia, they did not have a lot of money themselves. Word came that an offering was being collected for the poor saints in Jerusalem that had nothing. And these folks said, well, we don't have much, but we're going to dig deep and we're going to give anyway. They gave toward the need of others because their hearts were stirred by the poverty of others. They gave By grace. Letter A, we see the saints of God. Before I move on here, let me just say that there have been many, many times in my life where I have been in a deep financial hole. And I have been struggling financially. And I've not known how I was going to pay a bill. And lo and behold, God moved in someone's heart and they gave directly to my need. You know what that is? That's grace giving. That's grace giving. And you know how selfish of it would be for me, after I have received from people in my time of want, to then turn around and not give to others when I have it in their time of want. Aren't you glad that these folks in Macedonia saw the need in Jerusalem and said, well, we don't have much, but we'll part with. We'll find a way. We'll part with whatever we can. Hey, we have to sell food out in the marketplace to raise a few bucks. Let's do it. Hey, we have to have a a, a a tag sale. That's what they call them here in Connecticut, right? A tag sale. We have to have a tag sale to raise money to give to the poor. Hey, let's do it. We've got to make this change in our lifestyle and live a little bit more base. Let's do it. These folks don't have anything. Let's give by grace toward their need. Letter B, we see, again, we're looking at the examples, we see the Son of God, the Son of God. Paul here is trying to appeal to the church of Corinth to contribute their share to this offering that's going to Jerusalem. And so he points to the saints of Macedonia and he says, those folks gave, but beyond what they gave, let's look at Jesus and see what He gave for you. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Therefore... As ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Let me just pause there. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you all have it together spiritually. You are abounding. You are doing well in faith. Uh, You know how to utter the the word. You have knowledge of Scripture. There's a diligence about you. You have a love toward me and my my team of of missionaries. He said, now you need to also see that you not only abound in these, but that you abound in grace giving. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 9, this is the key verse of the passage. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Boy, I thought of a a way to, uh, I, I thought of how I could best preach this verse and help you all best understand this verse, and I stumbled upon these, uh, the, these eloquent words written by commentator John Phillips. And I don't like to read lengthy passages in church, but I think this is so moving that it, it will keep, naturally keep your attention. John Phillips worded it this way. He said, we know he was rich, but we have no idea how rich he really was. We get some idea, however, from what John tells us of the celestial city. In in Jesus' country they pave their streets with gold and build their walls of jasper, they make their gates of pearl, and stud foundations, rocks with gems. The great white throne of God is there, the crystal stream, the tree of life. Many crowns are placed upon his head in this in that celestial land. His ministers are flames of fire comprised of countless angels, uh angel hosts uh, uh the angel host beings of great beauty, intelligence and power, who hang upon his words and rush to do his will. The silver is mine he could say, the gold is mine, all the earth is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills are mine. Moreover, we know that he was poor. He was born of all places in a cattle shed. His next of kin, according to the flesh, were poor peasants, uh, uh, able to afford at the time of Mary's purification only the poorest offering allowed by the law. Mary's husband was a village carpenter, and the Lord Jesus, Son of God, though he was, was generally known as Jesus of Nazareth and was thus identified with at at despised place in a despised province of a despised land. And they called him the carpenter's son. He was born in a borrowed stable. When He wanted to feed the hungry multitudes, He had to borrow a little lad's lunch. When He wanted to confound His critics, He had to borrow a penny. When He wanted to teach the great throngs that pressed about Him, He had to borrow Simon uh, Peter's boat. When He wanted to fulfill an ancient prophecy and ride in triumph into Jerusalem, He had to borrow a donkey and borrow an upper room. When He wanted a burying place, He had to borrow a rich man's tomb. And when He died upon a cross, He died on another man's cross. We know He was poor. But we do not know how poor he really became. To measure the depth of poverty, we have to measure the sum total of the sin liability of every man, woman, boy, girl, and baby ever born or to be born upon the earth. For that was the debt. The sin of the world. That was the total liability which he assumed. Look back at verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes became he poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. Phillips goes on to say, we know we are rich, but we have no idea how rich we really are. He took our debt so that we might become heirs to his wealth. He took our sin so that we might take his righteousness. He endured Psalm 22 so that we could claim Psalm 23. We know that we are rich. The book of Ephesians tells us that it speaks of the the riches of grace. It tells us that the glorious Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, the guarantee of all that awaits us in, in, in the glory. It reminds us of the riches of His glory and that God is rich in mercy and that we are the children of God, the joint heirs of Christ. Indeed, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. What did the grace of God do? It took the high and lofty Jesus and sent Him down to live a humble, impoverished life. What did grace do? It allowed Jesus to become the poverty of our sin so that we could become the wealth of His righteousness. If you want an example of giving by grace, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the saints, the example of the saints. We see examples of the Son. Let's look at number two. Let's look at the expectation of... Of grace giving. The expectation of grace giving. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And look at verse number 10. The Bible says. And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you. Who have begun uh, before. Not only to do. But also to be forward a year ago. Now a quick explanation here. Uh, The church of Corinth. Had given lip service. And uh, agreed to an amount. That they would give toward this offering. That was going to be collected. In Jerusalem. In fact. The amount promised got back to the churches of Macedonia, and they said, well, if the church of Corinth can give that, boy, we have to give something. And so now, a year later, this commitment's been made, but no money's been given. And so Paul is just writing back to them to say, "Hey, let's not forget about this offering that you uh, that you uh, uh, that you claimed that you would that, that you promised to give." He, and look at verse number 10 there. It says, "Here and I give my advice." My advice. Paul did not mandate that these folks give, but rather he advised it. Look back at verse number 8. Second Corinthians 8, 8. It says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the affordness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you to give. He said, I'm encouraging you to give so that you can prove your love toward the other saints. Notice letter A. Notice our mindset. Our mindset. Look with me at verse number 11 and 12. It says, now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, a readiness to will, so that uh, so there may be a performance also. He said, get your mind in a place where you have a will to give. You are ready to give. You have a mentality of giving. And then follow through on that mentality. Look down at verse 12. It says, for if there be first a willing mind. A willing mind. Some folks might say, Pastor, I would give, but I just can't afford it. I just can't afford it. Can I tell you that I have said those very words many, many times. I can remember being a newlywed and I would sit with Angela in church and the sermon would be preached, a missionary would present a work and I think, boy, I would love to give, but I don't have any money to give. Um, Can I tell you that giving is first a mindset. It is first a mindset. Look back at Second Corinthians 8. Look at verse 2. Let's look back at the church of Macedonia. We'll read down through verse 4. The Bible says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, speaking of the Macedonians, and their deep poverty abounded. Now, in the United States of America in 2021, There are poor people. I've I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, I've seen poverty in a third world country. I've seen poverty in America, and they're not really that much different. Uh, People will say that poor people in America are not as poor as in other parts of the world. And to a degree, that's true. I, I do agree with that statement. But can I tell you that poverty in the U.S. of A. was nothing compared to poverty in Macedonia in the first century. They had nothing. They had nothing. They had suffered affliction for even being a Christian. Look back at verse number uh, 2. It says, And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Even though they were poor, they had a mindset that they were going to be generous or liberal in their giving anyway. Verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing, there's that mindset, willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. How poor were the Macedonians? They went around and collected an offering without telling Paul. And after they had collected this offering, they came to Paul and said, Paul, we have an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul said to them, I didn't even tell you about this offering because I didn't want you to give because I didn't think you could afford it. And they said, well, we collected it, here it is. And Paul must have looked at them and said, I can't in good conscience take this from you. You all are just as poor as the people in Jerusalem. And they said, no, we insist that you take this offering. We insist that you take it. Now, what am I trying to say here? Here's what I'm trying to say. If you do not have a mindset to give, then you will never give no matter how rich or poor you are. Grace giving is first and foremost a decision of the will. Giving is a mindset. When I got hired uh, to work in church ministry right out of Bible college, i I worked at a Christian school. My starting pay was $18,500 a year, and Angela was working as a class assistant, and her starting pay was $12,500 a year. So what's that come out to? Eighteen thirty thirty-one thousand $31,000 a year, and we were living in suburbia Baltimore, which is pretty similar to what it would be to live here, $31,000 a year. And I remember thinking, I just can't afford to give. I can't afford to give to anything. I thought, you know what, one day if I could just make $50,000 a year, boy, I would give 20 I'd give 15,000 of that to the Lord. I just if I could just you know what, and the day came where a benefits package and 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 pay and all that, it came out to be about $50,000 a year and I had this moment where I realized I'm still not giving very much to the Lord. And at, and seemingly my pocket's just as empty now when I made 30,000, 31,000. You know why? Because giving is not about how much money you make. Giving is about a mindset. The Macedonians didn't have anything they gave anyway. They found a way to contribute. You remember the lady who threw in her two mites, less than a penny, and the Lord said, she's given more than those who've given of their abundance. Because she had the right mindset of giving, they did not. Our mindset, let her be Notice our means, our means. Look down at verse number 11 and 12 again with me. It says, now therefore perform the doing of it, that uh, as there was a readiness to will there was a there there may be a performance also look here out of that which ye have look at verse 12 for if there be first a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not so what is it saying here it's saying that you should give of what you have you should not give on what you don't have Let me give you an example of this, all right? Let's say that in five years our church grows. Let's say in two years our church grows to the place where we need to buy another piece of property and build a new building, all right? That would be fantastic. And let's say that we have a big fundraiser push to raise money to build a new building. And, man, your heart is stirred, and you want to get on the ground floor of that, and you think, Pastor, I'm going to walk by faith, and I'm going to give. And you go down to the bank, and you take out a loan for $20,000 so that you can give to that, and you do it on high interest. That is not biblical. The Bible says you're to give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. So two questions you're to ask yourself. Here are the two questions. Write these questions down. What do I have? What do I have? What can I give? What can I give? Pay your mortgage before you give to the... Well, you, should, you, should give, you should give to the Lord what's his. But don't over give to the Lord and get foreclosed out of your home. You with me? Amen? Now you may give up your latte at Starbucks. You may give up your latte at Dunkin' Donuts. You may give up a meal eating out and give that to the Lord. But what should we do? We should look at what we have and we should look at what we can give. Um, We should give within our means. Now, um, there's a, uh, a, a member of our church here Has told this story many times. I'll, I think it fits the sermon perfectly here, so I'll share it. This member had, um, back in the 80s when he attended here, he had $2 in his pocket. $2. That was his lunch money for the next week at work. In the 1980s, $2 went a little bit further than it does now. But that's still not a lot of money to buy you lunch, right? And he felt the prompting of the Lord inside, and the Lord said, I want you to put that $2 in the offering plate when it comes by. And he said... I thought to myself, but Lord, that's my lunch money. And God said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I believe he reached in his pocket and he put the $2 in the offering plate. And you know what? God took care of him that week with lunch. Now, he looked at what he had and he asked what God would have him give and he gave according to how grace had so touched his life. We are to give by grace there is an expectation in the bible that we not give out of uh, begrudgingly we not give out of habit we not give because we feel forced but we give because god's grace has so radically touched us and we want to give back that grace number one the example of grace giving number two the ex- expectation of grace giving notice number three the experiment of grace giving look at second corinthians 9 and look with me at verse number 13 it says there Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. So we get it says here, why don't you just experiment and test God and see if he comes through. My prayer is that many of you this morning will make up your minds right now that you're going to change your outlook in contributing to the church and that you will begin to give by grace. What will you find uh, if you start giving uh, in this manner? Well, notice letter A, generosity reaps generosity generosity reaps generosity. Look back with me at 2 Corinthians 9. Look at verse number 6 and 7. It says, But this I say, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to as he purposeth, purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. What's it saying here? It's saying that if you give bountifully, liberally, God's going to give back to you liberally. If you give begrudgingly, if you give little, if you pinch your pennies, you give sparingly, then you're going to reap back sparingly. Every man, the Bible tells us the model of giving for the New Testament believer in verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. What's Galatians 6-7 remind us? It reminds us, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Let me give you a couple of other verses on this thought. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. You help out someone when they're in their time of trouble, then when it's your turn to be in trouble, God will consider and deliver and help you. Proverbs 11.25 says, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. What's that mean? That means liberal. That means that we look at people's problems and we give liberally. We give bountifully to the needs of others. Jesus worded it this way. In fact, turn over to Luke chapter 6. Hold your place in 2 Corinthians. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 and verse number 38. Turn over there with me if you would. Luke chapter 6. In verse number thirty-eight, Jesus really began the ball rolling with this concept of grace giving when he walked the earth, and then he used Paul and others to help establish the truths around it in other parts of the New Testament. Look at Luke six and look at verse thirty-eight with me. It says, "There, give." I assume you're still turning, Pastor. You move too fast. Slow down. Wait up for me. Don't leave me in the dust. Everybody find it. Most everyone's found it. All right, Luke six thirty-eight. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. When you are a generous person, what you'll find is that people will be generous back to you. You give generously toward the needs of others. God has a way of giving generously back to you. Now I want to just uh, pause for a moment and I want to kind of correct a cultural problem. Okay, look back at verse 38. It says, For with the same measure, at the end of the verse, that you meet with all... Actually, I, I missed it uh, Back up a little bit more. It says there, let's begin at the beginning of the verse. Given shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over... Look here. Shall men give into your bosoms? I hear people say... Oh, well, I just couldn't take that. Can I just say, most of the time, when we won't take something from someone else when we're in a time of need, can I tell you why we won't do that? Because of our own pride. We're not willing to admit that we're vulnerable and struggling and that we need at this moment in our life. Now, there are givers and takers in life. Some of you walk around and you're takers. You pastor, and I sure hope people give after this sermon because I've got bills to be paid. <laughs> oh, they help the poor sign me up. <laughs> right? If that's you, you've got some mentalities you've got to change, because you're just looking to take, 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 take take, take, take. Any time in my life where I've had to take from someone else, Because I was in a time of need. Can I just be honest with you? It was a humbling experience. In some ways, it was humiliating. But it taught me that in those times, I need to trust God because He uses men to give into my bosom. And Then when it's my turn and I have an abundance, I need to be willing to give back to others when it's their turn. Generosity reaps generosity. You're either sowing a field, you're being stingy in your sowing, and you're going to get back blessings from God in a way that's stingy. Or you're out there, and you're meeting out in great handfuls uh, to the Lord and to His work. You're looking at what you can give, and you're giving in great abundance, and what you find is that blessings come back a hundredfold. This is where that phrase you hear preachers use all the time, you cannot outgive God. You just cannot do it. Letter A, generosity reaps generosity. Letter B, apathy drives up dries up generosity. Apathy dries up generosity. When we grow aloof and apathetic toward the, the, the hurting of this world, when we white knuckle our money with a miserly heart and won't contribute toward the distribution of the gospel to the community and the world, our generosity dries up within us, and then generosity dries up toward us. About 100 years ago about 300 years rather before Jesus was born there was a prophet to the Jews named Micah. Micah reprimanded the Israelites because of their heart of apathy, their cold heart toward God. In Micah 1:6 we find they did not reverence God. In Micah 1:7 and 8 we find they offered him their worst. At Micah, in Micah 2:7, we find they misre- misrepresented his word. In Micah 2:13 through 16, we find they broke their ma- marriage vows. And in Micah 3:8, we find that they robbed him financially. All of this was a result of apathy. And God promised them later in Micah 3 that He would poke holes in the bottom of their money bag and that they would never have enough to pay their bills. But then he told them that they would become obedient in their lifestyle and become generous in their giving, that God would open up the windows of heaven and pour them out a blessing so large they would not be able to contain it. Everybody look up here for a moment. If the poverty-stricken Christians of Macedonia could give, then you can give something to the Lord. You can give something. Many of you here can start uh, looking at the discretionary money you throw in the plate and you can look at maybe saying, God's grace has touched my life a little bit more than five bucks. Now listen, you may be poor and five bucks may be all you can throw in. And you put that into the glory of God because you're just like that widow who threw two mites in the plate. If God's moving in your heart, maybe it's time that we consider giving by grace. Number four, and lastly, let's notice the enjoyment of grace giving the enjoyment of grace giving. When we learn to give by grace with a predetermined, generous, cheerful spirit, God promises us full splendor and enjoyment in return. I want to take a moment and just make sure I'm crystal clear on something before I give you the uh, last 3 subpoints, And I'm going to give you these pretty quick. What is the difference between tithing and grace-giving? Can I tell you that you can give 10% of your income and it still be grace-giving? Because you are not sitting there and saying, Oh, I'm only giving this 10% and, Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. But I'm dropping it in the plate. Lord, I was obedient to you. Oh. Oh. How am I going to pay my water bill this month? You may sit down and look at what you have and what you can give and you may come to the conclusion that what you can give is 10% of your finances. and That might be the predetermined amount that you put in the plate. When you give that, you give that with a cheerful spirit. That would become grace giving. But you may realize that as God blesses you with a raise at work, God blesses you with a new car, God blesses you with a nicer home, God blesses you with more income, more discretionary income. You may sit back and say, "You know, I can sure God's grace has been so good to me. I sure could give way more than ten percent to the Lord." When you learn to give by grace, what you find, what you find is that life becomes so much more enjoyable. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, notice our sufficiency. Our sufficiency. Look at verse number eight with me of 2 Corinthians nine. The Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, and that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You know what God promises us in the Bible? Everybody look up here. God promises us that if we seek His kingdom first, all these things, what things? What I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to live. All these things will be added unto you. Quote Matthew 6:33 with me if you know it. Ready? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we put God's kingdom first, and we're giving by grace, somehow or another our bills for our necessities. Let me be clear on that our necessities seem to always get paid. I can remember a time in college where I couldn't pay my school bill. I was studying for church ministry. I was about $300 short. lo and behold, I got a check in my mailbox from a church member for $300. God's grace had stirred their heart. And they put that check in the mail. And I was able to go back to classes. You know, when we seek God's kingdom first, all these things are added into us. But when we're seeking to build our own kingdom and we're neglecting His kingdom... Boy, all of a sudden we find we've got holes in the bottom of our bag, and the money is just, just flowing out, and there just never really seems to be enough. Our sufficiency, letter B. Notice our spirituality. Our spirituality. Look at verse number nine. Second Corinthians nine nine. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. When you make a contribution towards someone who's poor, when you give toward the, uh, the, the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, you're going to get to heaven one day and fruit is going to be laid on your account forever for the work you did. I think of Jesus saying that when you give someone a cup of cold water in my name, it's like you've done it unto me. You're being generous and you're giving by grace. You're helping others by grace. And that adds to your account in heaven. Proverbs 3, 5. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5. We're almost done here. Proverbs 3, look at verse number 5. We're going to read down through verse number 10. These verses also are familiar to us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. That's your income. And with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Come payday, you sit down and look at your finances, and you say, Lord, what by grace can I give to the work of helping the poor and propagating the gospel? And then you methodically write out that check or withdraw that money from the bank and put that in the offering envelope and come to church and you make that contribution. Listen, you are making a contribution into a spiritual bank account that can never be taken away from you. Letter C and lastly notice our satisfaction. 2 Corinthians 9 again. Look at verse number 10. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your, your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Notice that, thanksgiving to God. James chapter 1 verse 27 reminds us that pure religion undefiled before the Father is to help the widow and fatherless in their affliction and to keep, one, keep thyself unspotted from the world. What is pure religion? Is it showing up to church on a Sunday morning? Nope. What is pure religion? Is it getting baptized? Nope. Is it taking the Lord's Supper elements? What is pure religion? To help the vulnerable of society. I can't think of anyone more vulnerable than someone on their way to hell. When we give them the gospel and they get saved, boy, we have helped the most vulnerable of vulnerable. You take someone who has a humanitarian need and you fill that. What have you done? You've helped them. You know, the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. My favorite time on Christmas morning is not opening my presents. No, it was when I was eight years old. My favorite time on Christmas morning is sitting on the couch with my wife around my arm and watching my children open the presents we bought for them. By the way, that's their favorite time too, amen? (laughs) You know what? I love watching the joy on their face when they get something that I've given them. I see somebody come in my office and sit down and they're broken by sin and I offer them help and they leave with a smile on their face and a new hope in their heart. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You get the update and report of of people being saved on the mission field. And you know that you gave to the missions program and those people got saved because if you're giving, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Are you a tipper? Are you a tither? Or are you a grace giver? Which one are you this morning? Has God's grace radically saved your soul? Well, then maybe it's time to give as though it has. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Are we giving by grace? Are we giving by grace? Or are we giving in a way that's grudging? Are we giving in a way that's sparing? Are we sparing what we have or are we opening up our hearts and giving to the Lord? How many here today would say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life for the grace of God reached down and saved my soul. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I have believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. My faith is in Jesus and him alone to get me into heaven. That's my ticket to heaven. If that's your testimony and you know you've done that, would you just slip up your hand right where, right where you are? I know I've believed. I know I've believed. i put my faith in Jesus. You can put your hands down. I didn't see every hand raised, and if you didn't raise your hand, I thank you for your honesty. And I'd like to ask you a question, I'm not going to embarrass anyone here this morning. I'm not going to call on anyone by name. Every head needs to be bowed, and every eyeball needs to be closed. And this will be between me and you and God. But I want to ask this question. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I do not know that I would go to heaven. I'm just not quite sure. Pastor, would you please pray for me? Here's my hand. I don't know I'm going to heaven. Is there one? I'm just not sure where I'd spend eternity. Is there one here this morning that doesn't know? I hope that means everyone here has accepted Christ. If you don't know, boy, catch me after church. I'll be standing in the back of the auditorium. I'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. How many here today would say, Pastor, in one way or another, the sermon this morning, God has stirred my heart, that there are some changes that I need to make. Pastor, please pray for me that I'll make those changes. If that's you... Would you slip up your hand right where you are? There's some changes I need to make. Either am I, how much I give or the reason why I give. There's some changes I need to make. Please pray for me. Lord, help us this morning. Help, help us to have our hearts stirred. Help us to understand the eternal need. Help us to give so that need can be funded. And Lord, this church can continue to be a lighthouse to the community. In Jesus' name.